Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to IFHPodcastNetwork.com. There are some questions I'd like to ask you. Rebels Podcast. Now don't tell me you're taking all this seriously. <laughs> hey everyone, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm Josh Stifter, your host, and this is the Low Budget Rebels Podcast, where I sit down with independent filmmakers to talk about what inspires us, why we do what we do, and why we're driven to tell our stories. This week's episode, I've said this on almost every episode recently, and it's totally true. I have had this amazing um, opportunity of being blessed by having some of the most insanely interesting guests. And every single episode, I say today's guest is extremely special, and it's because they have all been. With I think because of the low-budget filmmaking of it all, I'm finding that everyone has their own individual distinct thing to bring to the show that's different than every other filmmaker. And that's because in order to be driven to make these low-budget movies, to be able to have this drive to want to tell your specific story, you need to be very much an individual, and you have to have your own way of getting it done, and you have to have your own way of telling these stories. So this week's episode, I was joined by a dude that made a feature-length paper cutout animated feature, not only once, but twice. And this guy has a prolifically amazing and wonderful uh, YouTube page where he has posted so much great stuff that I got lost in it. I spent hours just scrubbing through his YouTube and looking at all of the handcrafted, short, animated projects he's done, all of the behind the scenes, all of this other great stuff that just made me want to make animation again. It's been so long since I've made anything uh, longer than, you know, just a little tiny, stupid, silly Simpsons-based animation in a long time. And I, I need those pushes every once in a while. So finding inspiration in someone like Eric is huge for folks like me who want to animate and want to go down this path of the challenge that is creating frame-by-frame animation. Uh, If you haven't checked out his stuff yet, you should go check it out. At least hop on his YouTube and see some of the stuff he's made because it'll really give you an idea of what he's talking about and the work that goes into crafting these paper cutout animations. Uh, He's a music video director, feature film director, short film director, and he's done little, some really fun little skits that uh, have gone to, you know, 
quasi-viral glory on on YouTube. And Eric Powers also brought an element of filmmaking that I think a lot of us don't talk about, and that is the sort of loneliness that can come with filmmaking sometimes and how you have to do it by yourself and how you do feel lost every now and again and you hate it because it's all you on the screen. Um, you know, we all get help from other people. He talks about having other people help out on his projects, but in the end, you're the driving force behind it. And that uh, what, 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 like solitude that comes with it and that fear of failure and the knowing that every finger is going to be pointed at you when the failure happens. It's a very interesting topic that I, I'm glad that we were able to hit on in this. And hopefully you all gain some inspiration and know that you're not the only one feeling that way as you're going through this process. All right. Now for that part of the episode I hate. Patreon.com slash Flush Studios, the self-promotion bullshit. That's where you support what I'm doing. That's how you support the podcast. That's how you support the filmmaking that Flush Studios is doing and these animations that I want to do in the near future. Plus, there's all sorts of fun behind-the-scenes stuff, and there's already two feature films on that Patreon. So if you want to check out Greywood's plot or The Good Exorcist, one of the best ways to do it is to join the Patreon, support, and hopefully keep uh, my independent filmmaking possible. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with animator, director, and amazing dude, Eric Power. Uh, you have some animation diaries or uh, production diaries up on your YouTube page, and I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. But you said something in one of them that I found really fascinating, and that's that you don't draw. You're not a good drawer. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> for some reason, my brain works better when uh, I work with paper. I'm a lefty. I don't know if that matters, but growing up, you know, like the notebooks you'd get would have the spiral on the wrong side and it's like very uncomfortable to, you know, write with or the desk was all messed up and reversed. And I don't know. I don't know if that has to do with any of it, but I just found that my drawing skills just weren't up to par. <laughs> Although I'm sure with practice, they'd get better. I still like to draw here and there, but there's something about paper and cutting shapes out. It's almost like you're uh, constructing something in layers with geometry and so it just sort of works for my brain that makes sense i mean there is an element i'm i do 2d animation like drawings essentially but i'm not a good drawer either like when I, like i'm not an artist in that sense where i can look at a still life and draw that i never even had an interest in doing that i wanted to draw sloppy slimy nasty things yeah when i tried to sit down and actually take an art class i was terrible i just had no interest and and when you talked about like cutting out shapes there was also like this element of working in after effects that made a lot of sense to me layering things in a very specific way worked for some reason i find that fascinating yeah. because what at what point did you go like, well, I want to tell stories in animation, but I can't really draw that well to do frame by frame. But I'm going to start putting together these paper style cutout things. What was the push that made you start doing that? Well, I had been I had done hand drawn animation before. And, you know, and I figured just with practice and practice, I just keep getting better, which is true for everything. And so I was going down that path and I was also making claymations at the same time. And uh, that was really fun. I think I was sort of leaning into that. And then I started doing digital stuff, <laughs> you know, and that, and that in, in digital, you're kind of doing the same thing sometimes, or at least I was, as I do now with paper, because I was using a mouse to cut out shapes and layered it. 
you know? And so the stuff sort of ended up looking sort of like a cutout style anyways. But then when I started working with physical paper, I just got so much joy out of working with my hands and like actual material that I, I just liked not being on the computer all the time. And so I just sort of fell more and more in love with this idea of like handcrafted stuff, you know? And uh, then I just, I kind of ran with it. People started um, requesting cutout animation. And so I was sort of like accidentally putting myself into a niche, but then I'm like, wait a minute, I can do some cool things with this. And then I found that out on working on my first film, uh, Path of Blood that what I thought were limitations before uh, were kind of shattered by the things that I learned while working on it. And then I, I just got excited, like, hey, I want to show the world like what I can actually do with paper and just push it as far as I possibly can. And I'm still like on that trajectory, like trying. <laughs> I think that that applies to any sort of low budget filmmaking is we have to be in this constant state of forward trajectory of like trying to get better and better and learn more and more and more. And with something like what you're doing, it's the same thing. The reason why I started in animation was because I wanted to tell live action stories. I wanted to make movies, but oh, me too. there's no way to get your friends out to make a feature film, you know, that actually is any good most of the time because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time and no one has that passion and drive that you have. Exactly. That's my story. <laughs> totally. Well, I want to hear I, it. I, tell I... me the story. Where did Where did you start and what got you into it? Yeah, so I wanted to be a filmmaker. My big idea was that I would tell, I would do live action films, but then all the animation stuff I was doing on the side, I was thinking, you know, this would be great because it's sort of like having my own visual effects department, you know? Like I can add in all this cool animation and it would up the production values of my live action films and I'd be doing something really weird and cool. But I was like at the point where I was basically begging my friends, like, please, act in my film and like come and then they would come and they would do like it just be sort of interested they're there to actually just sort of hang out and I'm, I'm like trying to make a movie with them and it just I dawned on me that they weren't as into it as I was and then I, I I think it really like clicked with me when I did my first claymation when I had like just a block of clay and I made like a character and he came to life you know through a stop-motion animation and he had a personality. And I was like, you know, wait a minute. I can force my actors to do what I want because I'm physically controlling their every move. <laughs> and so I'm like making my own actors. I'm like, you know, this is the way to go right now for me. And, uh, and then it just sort of spiraled and, you know, I started getting better. <laughs> but yeah, my, that's just, your story is the same as mine. Yeah. And it just, it, it comes down to this thing of like, you have such a drive and such a motivation to make it that any excuse to, to make something you just grab it. So animation just made sense to me. Like it just became a thing when, you know, I watched, uh, especially in the late 90s when computer animation through stuff like South Park and like there was all of these shows that were coming out that were kind of crappy, for lack of a better term. Like their look and their feel felt like something that I could make. There was a, a, a animator named Joe Cartoon who did like online frog in a blender, like really, really crappy flash animations crappy but they like inspired the hell out of me where i would see them on the early days of the internet and i was like oh i could do that like i want to try this and i actually even he had like a contact thing on his website and i contacted the dude and i was like maybe 10 
maybe nine, something like that. And I, and I emailed him through my dad's email at work because no one had a computer at that time. So I emailed him at my dad's work and I was like, hey, man, do you have any advice for how to I didn't say, hey, man, I was like nine. I was like, sir, is there any way you could tell me how I could make cartoons? And he sent me back this really sweet email of like, I use Flash. I have a little, you know, a Wacom tablet, whatever, and kind of explained to me the process. And that's what got me into animation. Then I was like, sold. Okay, if he says I can do this, I can do it. And then I never stopped. Then I didn't have to ask my friends to come out and steal my dad's video camera and try to make something. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I think there's something to be said about that. And then uh, the thing that you said, one of the other things you were talking about in those production diaries, I'm a huge fan of that kind of stuff. So I appreciate the fact that you put those together. Yeah. I wish I did more of them. <laughs> yeah, what, I, you did like four of them, but then you sort of like, you know, got stuck working on another project and stuff like that. Is that something you'd like to do more of is show some of the behind the scenes and how you do what you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of just sort of being transparent in uh, the work I do because I'd like to inspire, um, you know, like amateur animators to, to try, try these things too. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do the production diaries just to, to sort of inspired just to show the process you know um but then i found that i mean I, I get so bogged down with work i just don't have the time to add that onto it too because my deadlines are just like really crunch <laughs> but um yeah i gotta find a way because especially like I'm, I'm pretty sad that i don't have any behind the scenes from attack of the demons to speak of because it would have been cool to see you know to show the process there more I totally understand. You know, I do. I, that's why I do this podcast is hopefully to inspire some people and to let people know that there's a lot of us out there who are making low budget stuff, doing what we can to get our stories told. And same with uh, Patreon I run and I put behind the scenes and stuff like that on there. It's so challenging to try to create the thing plus show the other stuff because you want to make that as good as you can and put as much time into like showing it properly. Um, so... It, you have two features that you've made. Um, is that's correct, right? Yes. Well, uh, two animated features. I did some documentaries uh, earlier in my, when I was young. <laughs> and and you when you started doing the uh, the features, what was that sort of like? What was the jump for you that made you go like, okay, I've made these shorts because you have a lot of stuff. Your YouTube is filled with some amazing work. What made you go like, <laughs> I want to move from? I, I have a feature I want to tell. It was always the end game to work in feature storytelling. So it's been in my head, you know, for, since the beginning. It's the reason why I wanted to be a filmmaker. So there was always like, I've got to make a feature. I've got to do that. And I think stubbornness. And um, also I, I saw that other people had done it. So, uh, and then I'll, I guess one of the big things was I was working in music videos and I was thinking about like the year of work, like in like 2011, I was like, you know, this year I've done like 40 minutes of animation. Like that's, that's getting close to a feature film. Like if I did that this year, what if I, what if I actually went for it and, and made a feature film? Like I could probably do it in like a year, year and a half or something. And then uh, once I got that idea in my head, there's kind of no stopping it, you know? <laughs> and I just, uh, I ran with it and I got lucky. <laughs> Start to like break down the time it's going to take the idea that you have and, and, you realize like, oh, well, if I start on this day, I potentially could finish by this day. And that makes it re feel realistic or feel like it's possible. Yeah. And as an animator, we're used to um, just like doing the hard work, the monotonous work. 
And so I'm like, you know, yeah, I could do it. This is going to be hard, but like, I could do that. That's exactly <laughs> the same thing when I when I was on Rebel Without a Crew and they asked me, could I make a feature film, you know, in 14 days with $7,000? I started thinking about all of the hours of animation I did and all the time I put into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the easiest job of my life because the animation is so much more monotonous and time consuming and lonely. At least on this, I'm going to have a reality crew with me and my best friend with me, and it's going to be a good time, if nothing else. Um, right. I think, uh, yeah, there is something about animation that teaches like a work ethic that kind of makes everything else seem a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah people are always uh, marveling, like, how can uh, I sit here and, you know, frame by frame shoot something? Uh, I always tell them, you know, it's sort of like a meditation thing. You get sort of in the zone, you know, and it doesn't really feel like you're doing monotonous stuff because it's very relaxing. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Once you you get in the groove of it and you start actually putting stuff together, and there's something about with a live action project, you film it, you know, you can edit it and start looking back at it, but you're kind of just always pushing for the final product. With animation, you can like truncate it into just each little breath of life that you're bringing into this thing. And each time you finish a scene or finish a shot, it feels like finishing a movie. You're like, wow, I brought this thing to life out of nothing. Yeah, and it's very satisfying. It's endlessly satisfying to watch, you know, something move that was just like sitting, <laughs> sitting there, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you get gratification uh, very frequently in the process, and it keeps you going and keeps you excited. Speaking of the process, do you have a favorite, like an actual favorite part of the process? That's, I mean, it's, it's, I love all stages of production, so it, it's hard. I think, um, Probably the most, my most favorite is at the very end when it all just sort of pays off because uh, there's points along the way where, you know, a lot of my scenes, especially lately, are getting a bit more extravagant and um, like I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. And so I'm doing all the animation, shooting all the backgrounds. And then at the end, when you put it together, it's like, wait, it is working. And it, there's a really a great sense of both relief and, you know, pride in what, I've, what you've done. So maybe that's the, the best part. But I also, I don't get to like watch movies while I work when I'm compositing or when I'm animating, I listen to music then. Um, it's interesting because <laughs> uh, the cutout process, like I often will have like a movie playing or something and I'm just like there catching up on all the cool stuff that's been coming out and, you know, getting inspired and making stuff. And then I switch to music mode when I'm shooting animation. So I'm jamming out to like new tunes and like learning new music and, and then compositing is more like introspective where I'm just like sucked into like my stuff. It's just, it's an interesting thing. And I love different parts of it for different reasons. <laughs> Dude, that is, this is the, this is the most I've ever related to someone on the podcast ever because no one else <laughs> understands that concept because it's the same thing for me where I, you know, coming from animation, I have that where when I'm doing the frame by frame stuff, I tend to listen to music because I need to be kind of focused and focus on my lines and stuff like that. But then when I'm coloring, I've got movies on in the background because it's just tedious clicking through every frame and coloring every single thing. You know, there's that like just you got to get it done, but it's it's mindless, completely mindless. But I love that part because it is like meditation mixed with. I can actually put something on in the background and watch watch a movie while I'm doing it and yeah. <laughs> and catch up on movies I never would have watched. You know, like I can watch the blockbuster movie in the background that I I probably wouldn't have gone to the theater to see. So now like I don't I'm trying to think of something off like uh, the new The Rock movie that comes out this year, you know, whatever it is. I can actually like right. put that on in the background and just 
kind of veg out. And then in the edit and, you know, sound design, I'm just completely in it. Like I just completely get sucked in and nothing else matters around. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is it, most most filmmakers don't have that truncating of different pieces, but because we kind of have to be a jack of all trades and do every piece of the process, it gives us a different like sort of perspective on it all. Do you do you have any interest? It sounds like you have interest in doing live action features at some point. Is that something that you are sort of pushing towards, or are you like, wow, I'm getting really good at this? You know, cutout animation. I want to keep going with this. Well, I, I do feel like I want to do live action one day, but uh, I don't, I would need, I would want a budget because I kind of want to be able to pay people yes. <laughs> to do work because that, that's one thing. It's like a really big incentive for them to actually work, you know, like I'm, I'm done begging friends for favors. It's hard. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with that. So, I, I mean, I think uh, at least the next two, three films are going to be animated. And then maybe after that, well, fingers crossed, you know, things, things go well and I can, um, you know, build up bigger budgets, but then I might like sort of dip my toes into live action. <laughs> I think I might get there steadily. Like I've got this idea for an animated feature that kind of blends live action with animation. So I might do that first just to sort of dip my toes in the water and sort of creep my way into that world. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. That was a big part of the way that I sort of uh, eked my way into live action was just doing animations and then slowly on the weekends just filming a couple minute long shorts with my kids and i just sort of weaseled my way into doing live action but i that is total animator mentality of like i want to be able to pay people i don't want to ask for favors whereas like i'll be on a film set where like i realize half of the people there are just working for free or as favors or for lunch or whatever it happens all the time which is just it's bad or good it just happens that you know low budget movies sometimes people are asking for a lot of favors or i had to find ways to sort of get people to come out to film things where it was like one day for my birthday i had the sequence in my second movie where there's like a living forest and so for my birthday i just asked everyone to come out instead of buying a present or booze or food or whatever go buy some zombie makeup and i'm gonna you dress up like a zombie for my birthday and then i'm gonna film you in the woods and you know, it was free. I didn't have to pay them, but it was like a fun night where everyone was just coming out to kind of party and had fun with the filming. Um, but yeah, that's it's so true that that's the same reason why I just couldn't pay people and I want to be able to pay people. And it feels it's sometimes hard for low budget filmmakers to try to figure out how to do that while also, you know, making our thing, making our features or, or shorts or anything, asking people to come out. I think that's why so many people start in shorts is because it's just easier right. to ask people to come sure. out for a day. For, uh, with Attack of the Demons, like uh, we didn't really have a budget for uh, voice acting and all that. <laughs> and, and one of my other passions, apart from filmmaking, is cooking. I love to cook. Um, so I uh, would just cook people dinner. And while they were over, I'd be like, can you come in my walk-in closet and like, fill in a role for me? You know, <laughs> so that's a, I felt like I was sort of paying them in uh, cooking them delicious food. <laughs> that's like be the best you can. That's my, my motto is if you supply or like one of the things that everyone is kind of, kind of goes for, if you supply good food, not crappy food, like if you have good food and you have drinks for people who want to, to drink when it's all done, like that makes a total difference they feel like they got paid like it was all worth it yeah 
I, I think it's also helpful to have a couple of really great friends. Like when I filmed my second movie and my first one for that matter, my buddy Daniel was there the whole time. He didn't get paid very much. Um, Keith and Strauss were on the second one. But having these friends who were as driven about it as I was, like I just completely had to shut off the fact that I was the filmmaker and we were all the filmmakers. Like everyone involved right. becomes a filmmaker and then it doesn't matter if they're getting paid because they're as passionate about it as I am in that moment. That's what I, I found too, just over the years. Like at first, you know, a lot of my friends weren't as into it as I was, but then slowly you start to find the people that are. And so I feel like I've kind of found my core crew over the years, like people that are just in it, just like straight up in it. And um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's what you do. You just like find your film family. <laughs> oh, 100%. That is one of the, the biggest elements is finding that family. And it's funny because I'll get on a set with professionals, people who are getting paid and their connection is less than my friends and I now have, which none of us went to film school, but when we actually are setting things up, we have a communication with each other that we can get things done faster and we know what we're doing. Like if I say, hey guys, I want this specific lighting set up, they'll know what I mean versus, you know, on a production set with people who don't know each other, it can be just a mess to try to figure out that communication. That can be the hardest part. So with this animation that you do, I'm curious, what... I don't want to be too broad with this question of like what inspires you, but like what kind of things do you look to for inspiration in this medium, which is a very like niche audience. Like it isn't something you don't see cut out paper, cut out animation every day. What, what do you look to for inspiration? Well, um, so it depends on the project, I guess, um, because I mean, I do a lot of uh, music videos and uh, those all range just in like tone, <laughs> you know, some, researching different types of animation or some of them might want might be more minimal and inspired by like um, Picasso or some suprematist stuff, <laughs> you know, just like different art. And, um, but with the, like the big films, um, with Attack of the Demons, um, I was inspired by live action films. Like my, my idea was um, cut paper animation is sort of niche. I'm not sure if people would accept it as a, like telling an adult story, you know, that actually has characters and it's, it's not like super tongue in cheek. I'm like actually trying to tell like a live action story with it, you know? And so I wanted it to feel as live action as possible. Yeah. That's what I, that's one of the things I really, really dug about it was the fact that it wasn't tongue in cheek and it wasn't pushing this concept of, Hey guys, this is a low budget paper cutout movie. It was just like, this is a movie, this watch, the story I have to tell and one of the things and yet embraced the cutout of it like visually it was fun to watch because I could tell you know how you, you were using your medium and for me that's one of the challenges for all low budget filmmakers it's one of the challenges is finding a way to embrace the style that you have to work with while also not you know just placating to it constantly and being like always like this is a low budget movie don't forget this is low budget or this is paper cut out like <laughs> but really taking the story seriously and you did i love the fact that you took the monsters so seriously and at a certain point my brain kind of shut off to the fact that it was paper cut out and i was sitting there just going like whoa that demon looks dope or oh my god that nasty green slime pouring out looks amazing and you just kind of forget the cutout of it and that's, uh, I've heard that before with uh, my various, uh, like with Path of Blood, that was one of the biggest compliments I had. Somebody said that they had forgot it was animated. 
I was like, oh, that means a lot to me because I, I want people to watch an animated film and give it the exact same respect they would a live action film, you know, and just be invested in the characters and the story. And, um, you know, that's what I want to do because of my eventual goal, I want to tell like more and more adult stories, you know, I want to get into some psychology. I also want to use animation to tell these stories in a way that you can't do with live action. So having that balance to where, you know, you're, um, you, you, want, you do want people to know it's animated. You want to show them something that they can't see in any other medium, but you also want them to be engaged in the same way as they are with that medium. Like I'll look at people's like end of the year lists often. And um, a lot of the times they forget about animation. They forget about the animated films. Like I know like the tale of princess Kaguya came out a few years ago, which is a flat out masterpiece. And then everybody's just seemed to just sleep on it. I'm like, this is, this is gorgeous. This is important, you know? And uh, so I want to be able to, to, to do that too. Um, I'm still young now and I don't think I'm going to be doing my best work till I'm much, much older, <laughs> but that's like the eventual goal. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but it is like animation is tough and so is low budget filmmaking. One of the, the struggles, like just doing live action, low budget filmmaking is constantly kind of reminding people that it is low budget, but also I found if I can make them continuously be like going back to the budget, but then adding it up in their brain, after a couple of minutes of adding up how much everything costs, they just go like, screw this. I'm done thinking about the budget because it's it's way more than what it seems like. Getting people to get to the point where they are invested in the characters enough that they have to shut off that this is what the medium is and just go, oh, this is the story I want to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, my... Uh... I feel uh, the same way. I, I kind of, I've been always wanting to like up the production values of my thing and make people feel like more people worked on it than did, you know? And uh, I feel like that might've worked because I've read like some reviews of Attack of the Demons and they talk about it as if uh, there's a team involved and they're, you know, they're, <laughs> and, and then they're, and then it's just me because I animated this thing myself you know <laughs> i love that i didn't even credit i didn't credit myself as like editor and um, sound design or any of that stuff because i didn't want like the credits to look like some stupid ego trip you know so i'm just like i i animated it and i directed it and that's that's, that's enough for me <laughs> but then uh when everyone stacks on uh, like criticisms it's actually me like i'm to blame for it all <laughs> you know? but at least they think that more people worked on it i'm actually the one that's <laughs> Yeah, man, I get the same thing. Whenever someone drops an Amazon review of a movie, one of my movies, and they're like, who gave these people money? It's like, no one, literally no one. <laughs> like, I have no money. Like, there was no, there was no budget. Um, so it's almost a, it's like kind of a weird compliment where I'm like, you thought I had money to make this thing. Right on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a compliment. <laughs> And the people that know this stuff, the people that, you know, know what goes into making a film, they'll, they'll see that and they'll, they'll recognize like, hey, if these guys can make this on like 35K, which that was the budget for Attack of the Demons, like what, what can they do for 50K, you know, and uh, especially with years of experience on top of it. So that, that was the hope, you know, like people might see it and be like, all right, I want to see what you guys can do. Maybe just like a little extra funding for like sound design and acting, you know, like let's give you guys a little bit something. Totally. <laughs> <And> we're ready. <laughs> Yes. I th and I think there like there's a certain element of independent film that it's more fun if you know the background story and watch it with that that I think we've kind of forgotten. Like when I sat down, you know, when you watch Slacker, like Linklater 
you don't watch that movie and sit down and go like, I'm going to sit down and watch Slacker or Clerks and treat it like a Hollywood movie. We even, even when the movies were first coming out, we knew the backstory. We knew what they were and why they were the way they were. And that's what kind of made them fun to watch. Whereas knowing, you know, that a low budget movie is a low budget movie, it can instantly make it something so much better. Or knowing that, you know, uh, Attack of the Demons is a paper cutout. Obviously, you don't look at it and not know that, but knowing that it was made by one person, essentially, and um, and it it isn't meant to be taken tongue-in-cheek makes it so much better. Like, it just makes it so so such more interesting right off the get-go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> definitely, definitely it wasn't made alone, you know. Like I said, I found, like, my family, <laughs> in a sense, with uh, my screenwriter, Andreas Peterson, and then uh, my uh, uh, score master composer, John Dixon. Um, but it, it was basically us three and then uh, friends and family doing voices. <laughs> yeah, there, but there is still, I mean, yeah, and you could say the same, you know, like Clerks and and uh, Slacker. It's not like they were alone. They had these beautiful casts. They had, the, you know, all of the things that went behind them, but there's still like that driving force of Kevin Smith and Linklater uh, or Robert Rodriguez with El Mariachi, those like having that knowledge that someone was so passionate to get this thing done, that they were like a driving force behind something means the world to some film, to some film watchers like myself. I love knowing that. And it makes it such a powerful thing to know that someone was willing to put forth that time and effort and energy to make something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with uh, how the film turned out. And, um, you know, I, I tried definitely no pun intended not to cut any corners. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it a, it's just a massive amount of shots. We had like a 12 months to make the film, you know, because then money ran out and we couldn't like keep the lights on after that. So we're just like pumping out shots, you know, some months, like 120 shots just like in the can, you know, <laughs> and just knowing that I never felt along the way that I had to compromise. Like, I feel like we made the film we wanted to make at the end of the day. That's amazing. That's uh, that has to be such a great feeling. Were you able to take the movie out to any festivals or get it seen? Were you able to see it on the big screen? Yeah, we got lucky because last year was when the festival run was. So I actually got to be in a gorgeous theater in Chicago, Music Box Theater, and oh, nice. uh, hear the film there at a Cinepocalypse. And um, yeah, it doesn't like see it with the live audience, and uh, that was a trip. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> to see it like blown up on this like bigger than life screen when these like paper cutouts can fit in my hand, and they're like, oh my god, they're huge! I can see everything. <laughs> Like, eh, it still looks pretty good, <laughs> but you know, you're your own worst critics. So I'm like, oh my God, they're blowing everything up in front of everybody. Oh yes. Oh, it's such a weird feeling for someone to watch it on the big screen in a way you've never seen before. And you're seeing every flaw with an audience. It's, it's a weird trip, but I still love that experience. Like my favorite thing oh, yeah, is to sit too. in the theater with people and just it's such a rush. <laughs> you kind of feel like a puppet master, like watching the audience watch it and seeing like their emotional reaction to it. You're like, wow, I, I made that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And like seeing if like the jokes land and like, you know, it feels really good when they do. And like, even like, uh, I remember there was one joke uh, in the film where Kevin's like, I, I watch movie marathons on the weekend. I'm not an athlete. You know, he like says something like that. And like one dude in the very back was like, oh, he like cracks up and like, yeah, he like gets it. I love that. I love that moment where someone just like viscerally responds with uh, you could tell 
that it wasn't a laugh where they're trying to placate to the fact that you're going for a laugh. It's just that like, oh, that's really funny. I did not expect to laugh that hard. That's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, totally. Those kind of moments are why we do this. Yeah, definitely. I feel so so sad, uh, you know, for the, the filmmakers that were tr trying to premiere their films this year, you know, and I'm missing out on that um, that delicious, beautiful feeling, <laughs> you know, like community watching a film together. Yeah, you have to, I had to really like boil it down for myself because getting into festivals, winning awards and not being able to be there was just like heartbreaking. But yeah. you also like, I start thinking about the future and having been in that festival and having been a part of that now i know that they're the, the kind of festival that likes my stuff so i've learned right. like the festivals to go to next year or in you know when i finish my next project lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Obviously, the type of animation you're doing or the type of projects you're doing to a lot of us sounds really, really, really challenging. What for you is the biggest challenge in the process of making a feature animated like that? I think it's just bringing uh, the script to life and uh, the characters to life in a believable way. I think that I put a lot of um, stress on myself for that because um, like <laughs> people, people might not think about it, but like I have to sort of physically act all the roles in order to figure out the way the characters move or respond to things. This is, this is even like, you know, for the female characters, male characters, I'm there like sometimes just pacing around my studio trying to act the role myself, you know, it, it probably would look pretty ridiculous, <laughs> you know, from an outside view, but um, yeah, bringing the characters to life when, when they're really just like puppets you know, in a drawer and uh, trying to draw emotion out of, you know, paper, you know, um, that's probably the most challenging thing. Uh, and it, it becomes increasingly, that was one of my fears of Attack of the Demons, like whether the emotion could be sold through um, animation, like my specific animation. I feel like hand-drawn um, already like has that down in the bag, like they know how to draw it, but cut paper, like I haven't really seen it used outside of, you know, a bunch of short films or, you know, um, I guess South Park, although only the first episode was actual cut paper. Yeah. Um, but it seems to be used in a, in a different way, more in a sort of an irreverent kind of way. So I, I really wanted to know if I could tell like a truly emotional story with that. And um, since I, I feel like a, a lot of people did respond to Attack of the Demons, that I, I don't want to push that further in my next film and uh, maybe even make some people cry. <laughs> like if I can make someone cry with paper animation, then I think uh, I can... Uh, I can die happy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Maybe that's, a, 
maybe that's masochistic of me to like I, I want to make you cry <laughs> i just no. want to make you feel something i want i want to see if i can make you feel I know a ton of editors, like as I talk to editors, that's the dream is to make someone cry. They're always pushing to get that response. I'm the opposite where I don't really want to make someone cry. I love to get a big laugh. Like it's so, oh, oh God, it feels so good to get a big laugh out of someone. Um, but I can totally relate to the concept of wanting to make someone cry with paper cutout. It sounds like such a challenge, and it, it but totally doable. Having watched uh, Attack of the Demons, I can definitely say that you're headed in the right direction. You have emotion in the characters that I've seen live action stuff that is far less compelling character wise. Um, and that's, that's like the hardest thing to do is have a character that people care about or want to continue watching. Right. And with something like that, it's especially challenging because we're so used to seeing this style of animation in music videos, in short form, seeing it in long form and seeing that it worked. It was huge. I, I, I'm pretty excited about the future of animation. I think there's a renaissance taking place or about to just explode because I know that if me and my like very small amount of friends got together and made a feature film, feature animated film, like uh, now that there's got to be people out there that are working on theirs. And what's really cool is since you can do it on low budgets, you can tell even more personal stories. You can take risks on stuff like that. And so I feel like we're going to see animated stories that really push the boundaries of, you know, genre and um, what an animated film can tell. You know, like you look, you look at like the Academy Awards and all those like, like the jerks that are choosing the uh, the winner for animated feature. They're like, I voted for it because my kids seem to like it. You know, yeah. like all those people are, are they're going to have to like go away because I think people are going to start to realize that the medium has a lot to say. And I think people are going to be ready for it. Um, I feel like Europe, Europe is already like ahead of us. I think American audiences still have a bit of a ways to go, but I think we're getting there and it's super exciting. <laughs> it is. And I think one of the other things that's going to change everything is the fact that we are having to branch out and look through different means to find movies because, you know, the theater is being closed right now. I think it's forcing a lot of people to try new things. And I'm seeing it with... Uh, my movie Greywood's Plot, I just decided to say screw it, and I put it up digitally on my website so you can buy it, and I send you a ProRes and an H.264 file and behind-the-scenes stuff so you can actually download the movie, put it on a hard drive, and watch it on your TV or whatever. And I knew that it was going to be a hurdle to explain this to people, that you can't just go to Netflix and watch it, but I've been right. shocked by how many people are willing to put forth the effort to actually watch it that way and are because of that, seeing it in a less compressed way, they're seeing it in a better way. They're hearing it in actual 5.1 if they want to. Like, you actually are getting the experience that I put together versus the other experience of, like, eh, Amazon Prime, it's compressed way down and people aren't really watching it in the way that it was intended, but who cares? It's And, and then it becomes throwaway. I find that the people who are putting forth that effort are to download it and watch it that way are really having an experience versus just it's friday and i have nothing else to do i'll slap this thing on and i think the same right. thing goes for your movie where yeah it's not in the like zeitgeist in the way that something like bill and ted 3 is but the people who are hunting it down and are wanting to watch something like that are probably really passionate about it and really they are putting forth the time to really care 
Yeah, that means a lot. It, it kind of still blows me away that anybody is out there even watching my stuff. You know, it's it's amazing. Uh, it's one of the most satisfying feelings ever. Um, even the people that it's not gelling with, just knowing that they did take the time and you know they were willing to give it a shot, like that means the world to me. <laughs> you know? Totally. Like I tell Daniel, Daniel, my uh, my co-writer and producer Daniel Dagnan, he and I have this constant talk where when we get a bad review, it doesn't even bother us. Like, I really don't feel angry at that. I, f I would feel much more angry at someone who watched it and then didn't say anything and didn't care enough to put forth any effort. But someone who felt an emotional response to go online and be like, I did not like this. Where Who gave them the budget makes me go like, okay, we got a response out of them. And the people who love it, of course, that feels great. But I just want a response out of someone. It There shouldn't just be this with a low budget movie with something that's so different than everything else. I don't want someone to go like, Meh, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's a, there's enough of that, you know, uh, people just uh, consuming entertainment and just kind of like swiping right or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's nice, nice to feel engagement. <laughs> the washing over of entertainment is one of the most like nasty things to me. I don't like that. People just kind of sit down and watch something. And then when it's over, they maybe tell their friend about it maybe but that's about it or they bring it up like at work water cooler talk i don't want to be water cooler filmmaker i want to be a filmmaker who someone goes into work and they're like i watched the worst goddamn movie i've ever seen in my life or oh my god you guys have to see this movie it is made for you like that's what i want i feel good about you know my my films because uh, I, I had to take like years out of my life to make them you know like i'm there for an entire year working on it and then you release it. I feel like um, not only does it give like a picture, a time capsule of that year of my life that is forever going to be out there, but I mean, so much care went into it that I feel like the staying power of it is, is a little higher than if I had just um, shot something as quickly as I possibly could. So I, I like that I, it takes me a long time to make the film, you know? I like that I really have to think about, can I, can I take the three hours it's going to cost me so that Natalie can gesture with her fork towards the screen, you know, cause you have to cut out the different parts of the hand for, to make that gesture. I'm like, yes, that matters to me because one day I'm going to watch that and I'm going to be like, you did that. <laughs> you took the time you didn't have to, you could have done it in an easier way, but you didn't. And I think other people will, um, will see that too, or, you know, even as aspiring animators and they'll know that he, he had to do the in-betweens there. You know, he didn't, he didn't take a shortcut. This means something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I 100% agree with this sentiment because of I've been on many film sets where the everyone is there. Everyone's professional. Everyone's doing a great job. But in the end, it was the producer's movie, the person who put forth the budget, the person who like the director doesn't even care that much in the end it's not their baby it was a thing they did based on they got the money to do it and that was it but there's something about the drive of making something on your own which is one of the reasons why i've become so passionate about low budget filmmaking would i love a budget of course that'd be great but i am very driven by the, this idea of making the thing that i want to make and putting my heart into it and putting I mean, I put three years into making Greywood's plot. It wasn't like an overnight thing. And because of that, now it's something that I want to live with for the rest of my life. It's like right. uh, it's like another kid to me. Like it's that important versus just being something that I toss out there. And I'm like, yeah, I made this and I wish we had more of a budget to work on it. But, you know, it is what it is. 
Yeah, I struggled with that because I, I am, like I said earlier, I'm a really bad about critiquing my own work. You know, I usually there's a stage of production where I'm like, I hate it. Oh, know? yes. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and then there is a stage at the end where I'm like, I like it. You know, I actually did a pretty good job. But um, I know with like my first film, Path of Blood, I was kicking myself for like a year after I made it. Um, because I felt like, you know, the, the work wasn't as high quality and I, I just want to start from scratch and do it again now with my skills the way they are. But then you, you come to the to terms with it. And like I said earlier, like thinking about your films is like a time capsule of your life in a way. And, and then I can look back on it now and be like, wow, you know, you, you really, you did what you did. Like, you know, like that film I had, um, I made it on like glass layers, shot very traditionally, mostly in camera. Uh, with like Legos holding up the thing. And I'm like, I'm like proud of that. That, you know? that is so punk rock. <laughs> yeah. 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 The whole film's pretty punk rock. <laughs> I, just, I made the gory samurai film of my dreams, even, even though I could make a better one now, uh, you know, I mean, I made it and I still enjoy it actually. <laughs> I love that. I have a question. Is there a, a piece of advice? How do I, I usually frame this as like, if you could give yourself, send yourself a tweet in the past, is there like a, a short form or write down on a little a little note card or something a piece of advice to tell yourself when you were first starting out is there something that you would say gosh that, that, that is a big question i guess i would probably just say it's it'll be worth it <laughs> you know i think that's good advice you know a lot of people say you know stop playing video games and get going or something like that but it, that's really that's easier said than done. I think a sort of nice piece of advice is like, it's going to be worth it because there's so many days where it doesn't feel worth it at all. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, right now, like I'm, I'm between gigs. Like I don't have a freelance gig and I'm worried about like the bills next month, but I still like, I know I, I built up this like body of work and I'm very proud of it. And people can get lost on my site for hours and hours watching like fun stuff. And, um, I don't know. I feel like pretty content <laughs> that like I actually kind of became an artist, even though I mean, I've never been to art class either. You know, I, I'm not taught filmmaking. I did it myself. And um, so there, there's a lot of satisfaction there, just uh, feeling like content in my work. <laughs> That's such an interesting concept, because the way you even said that was almost you said it with like an eye roll, which I, I do the same thing where when I talk about myself <laughs> yeah. as an artist, I get lost. I'm like, I, I make stupid movies and whatever. But in the past few years, it's really struck me that if I could send the note card to myself, I may just say like, hey, man, you become an artist. Like you, you actually do. Right. So stop thinking of yourself not as that because you're going to make something that truly expresses yourself through an art form that's huge i never thought i would do something like that so to be able to say that is something that you know when you can reflect on it and if anyone is listening to this and they're feeling like well i'll never be an artist i'll never actually make art i'm not going to art school you you will if you want to you will like you will find a way to do it and it's got to be deep down inside of you to do it yeah I, I i think about that i look at i watch some of my early work and it's it's just awful it's just terrible animation you know and i wonder to myself how did i at the time keep going if i wasn't i wasn't that great you know like i'm obviously wasn't that great but i know that at the time i had it in my head you know if it's like practice makes perfect i think i actually listened to that advice that you just keep keep going you keep trying and you're gonna get better it's just inevitable 
And um, even now, you know, like I said, I look back on my first film with a little bit of shame or I did in the past. I kind of felt that a little bit for Attack the Demons because I've like learned several new tricks in the past two years. And I'm like, oh man, if I could apply that stuff to that film, people would just be blown away. <laughs> but then another part of me like, no, no, make the next film. Keep moving. And blow them yeah. away. <laughs> yes, so totally. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> keep going. Keep trying. So I like to ask hypothetical questions on this show. And there's one that because you're in animation, it's such a different question than asking live action people or directors or filmmakers. So if I could give you a, a big chunk of money, but you could only put that chunk of money towards one thing in the production, what would you put the money towards? Whether that's like um, amazing cut out props or better voice talent or having more people on set to help you with the animation what is like the thing that you would or, or post-production for that matter um for me it would be um sound and uh, voices i think uh, especially i've got some films planned that rely very heavily like um, half the budget is like planned like it has to go to sound and voice work because I, I've been working with musicians for years. I've done like 56 music videos and I want to make a film that's super musical. And I know that I can't do that unless I can actually hire people to like write original songs for it. I have this idea of a film that's uh, cast entirely by musicians too. Um, but I know that I would want to pay them. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's what I would use the money for to <laughs> make that film. That's so, that is interesting because that's one of the things, one of the only things that I actually will set aside budget from the very beginning. I won't even start the project until I know I have some funds to put into score because I truly believe like a quarter of the movie is score. It's like a quarter is oh, yeah. the production, a quarter is the edit, a quarter is score. And a quarter is, I don't know, other things, sound and whatever. But that's, I think the score so is so true. key. <laughs> and uh, that, that was with Attack of the Demons, too. Like, I, I'm friends with John Dixon, who did the score for that and Path of Blood. And I, um, I didn't give him a lot of notes on the score. I just sort of let him loose with the script and just let him sort of do his thing. I just I told him I wanted, like, grungy guitar. But he did some, like, um, early demos um, based off the thing. And he just sort of surprised me with them before we were even in production. And just listening to the music, it basically it, di it dictated the mood in just like a major way of what this thing was going to even look like. Because you can hear it and be like, okay, it's got to look like this, you know? And um, yeah, it's just super important. The score is just, yeah. <laughs> just as important as visuals. Yeah, I did the same thing with Greywood's plot where... I, I we edited some sequences together that we had filmed and I sent it to the the guy Curtis who was going to be doing score and he sent me back some you know rough demos of what he thought his score would sound like and it totally influenced the rest of the movie like it totally yeah. gave me the vibe that I was going for and it gave a, it it gave me a talking point of you know when when I started talking about the organ in a certain part I'm like oh yeah that's right this is like an old black and white kind of creepy Frankenstein monster movie that organ is perfect and it influenced even like the visual style of later scenes. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard the argument that um, like some people have said a, a good score is one that you don't even pay attention to that. It just like helps the visuals. But I think that's bullshit. <laughs> I think the music should also, you know, grab you. And um, that's, that's why I'm just happy with like the people I know and John, you know, that I, I can, uh, I can listen to the score for the films he's made and 
um, you know, get lost in his world, you know, separate from the visuals. Like, I think, it's i think it should it should be both ways you know it yeah. benefits the film but it also um, stri is striking yeah there should be moments where you you do like i'm i'm totally okay with the audience being pulled into going like wow that score right there is really fantastic because in the past i've always done that with movies when i watch killer clowns from outer space there are moments where i'm like oh my god that score is absolutely amazing like there are things where like movies will pull me the, the score or the or the the uh soundtrack like a music cue hits and you're like oh my god i love this song but it's meant to give you that emotion of like oh i love this or oh my god this this song is a creepy choice i'm creeped out in this moment those kind of things are huge so while i do think that there is an element of getting lost based on the score i think there can be moments where you're like oh my god that score hits so hard yeah or it just like elevates it yeah I think of a film like um, Kikujiro. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, Takeshi Kitano. Uh, Joe Hisaishi did the score for that. And it's just gorgeous, you know, and it elevates the entire film um, to where if you just had a score that was sort of placeholder and it got you from point A to point B and it, it made you feel the, the emotions, but um, it didn't like grab you <laughs> as much. But then there's moments where you're just watching the film and the score's just hitting you like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And I guess it's like a, one of those situations of like synergy, a perfect marriage of, you know, what you're seeing on screen and what you're hearing. And um, that's what I would go for. <laughs> Are, have there been any movies recently or any pieces of art recently that have inspired you, like stuff in the past year or two that you saw or or heard or watched that made you go, oh, man, now I'm inspired again? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it happens all the time with me. Um, I really like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um I like uh, <laughs> slow movies, uh, you know, films that really take their time. I know uh, there were people that were upset with the Attack of the Demons having like a lull, like in the middle, you know, where everything's just sort of like calms down and we're like watching like fish swimming in the water and stuff. But I want to make a film that like is that expanded. <laughs> like I'm, I'm down to get lost in some sort of um, meditative piece. And uh, so films that really take their time and you get to know characters and it's it's sort of slow moving, but you feel like you're in that world. So I'd say a Portrait of a Lady on Fire did that for me. Um, I hear First Cow is really good. Also, The Lighthouse blew me away. Yeah, man, I talk about it all the time on this show. The Lighthouse I saw in the theater and I walked out and was like disgusted. I was like, I hate this movie. This is some artsy fartsy BS. And then I laid down in bed and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I woke up the next day and I was in the shower thinking about it. And then I was like, you know what? I got to go see it again. And I saw it again. And now I've watched it probably. I'm not being sarcastic if I say 45 times. <laughs> like wow. it's it's become my comfort movie. It's my background. It's yeah. It's a piece of art that like I find something new about myself every time I watch it. That's yeah. I think that's what I want to make. I want to make a comfort film. I want somebody to to watch one of my films and be like, "This is my this is my go to uh, comfort film." And I actually have a script that I think is going to do that. Um, you know, it's just the kind of thing like I want to go back to this world. You know, yes. it makes me feel good. <laughs> and I I have other films like I have like my rainy day movie. You know, a film that I want to watch when it's raining. I think of films that way. Like Attack of the Demons. It, I've described it as my popcorn and red vines movie because it looks the way that tastes to me. Nice. Yeah. 
I, I could totally see sense. that totally makes sense. <laughs> that 100% makes sense. Um, okay, good. <laughs> but I think it felt one of the greatest compliments I've ever got or one of the greatest like things I ever heard was someone sent me a photo of their kid who was like, I think like 11 or 12 watching the good exorcist and drawing like sitting on the floor drawing and watching the movie and she sent me this message and was like this is his fourth time watching it this week and i was like that that to me like i wanted to make kind of a gateway horror movie not something actually scary something that was like not too vulgar not too awful but just enough that it gives people a taste of why horror is awesome and yet they can laugh along it has like a childlike you know, Napoleon Dynamite sentiment. So seeing like an 11 or 10 year old who was watching this movie and creating art at the same time, I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, one more question and then we'll wrap this up. But I love to, this is my favorite question to ask on the show. Um, I had the honor of being mentored by Robert Rodriguez for Rebel Without a Crew. I'm curious if you could be mentored by someone, anyone, who would who would you want to shadow or follow around, watch them make films, or just sit down and have coffee with? Like, who is your perfect artistic mentor? Golly. <laughs> I, I guess I would have to say Miyazaki. I know that's probably like um, kind of a... <laughs> lame, I don't know if it's a lame choice, but at the same time, like I've watched documentaries of him and he seems kind of grumpy. <laughs> so yeah. Even, like, I wonder, like, I don't think he would make a good mentor. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure who else. Uh, that's tricky. It is. It's a tough question because, you know, I start thinking about some of the people who I would want to be mentored. And I even think back to being, you know, being able to follow Robert Rodriguez around for that time and or you know talk to him and have him sort of watch my movie and help me along and in reality i was mentored by him when i read his book you know 10 years ago or whatever i really didn't right, gain that, that much on the process like as far as being mentored it was really the more the fact that i was just able to do it for the first time and go and actually make a feature that was more teaching than the actual mentorship of being taught something so it is a tough question but i i think it's interesting because it makes people think like okay who would i want to learn from and then the realization like oh yeah i actually can learn from them by watching their movies or reading their books or listening to their interviews or whatever like actually diving into it i took the uh martin scorsese master class and i'm a huge scorsese fan as everyone see you know is everyone loves a scorsese movie at the very least so I took the master class and I was like utterly bored by it. Like I didn't find the master class to be that enjoyable at all. I didn't feel like I was even learning that much. And it's because I realized like, oh, anything I could learn from him, I'm learning watching it on the screen. Like I'm learning more from his movies than I can from the man telling me this is how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel like I learned that movies and art is from sort of studying the masters and just sort of watching and consuming. I guess, I mean... Another person I would like to be mentored by, unfortunately, is passed away. You know, I wouldn't mind like traveling around with like Anthony Bourdain. Oh. <laughs> He's one of my heroes. Yes, um, that's more of a see. That's the perfect one because I was not an Anthony Bourdain fan. I never watched anything Bourdain. I never read his books or anything. Then COVID hit, and a bunch of his shows popped up on HBO Max or Amazon or whatever. And after I got off of work, I needed something to kind of like cool down with. And I randomly put on Anthony Bourdain and now I'm absolutely obsessed. 
Like I am yeah. obsessed with just the life lessons I can learn watching what he did and that traveling and learning from different cultures as sad as his actual story is it's still fascinating to learn from him yeah I, i've read all his books and um you know i haven't watched all of the shows because what um, my wife and i do we have uh, dinner parties um well we used to <laughs> um <laughs> where we like draw a random country from a bowl and uh, then cook food on that country the idea is to cook our way around the globe you know and we've been doing oh, it that's so cool years. But um, often there'll be an episode of one of Anthony Bourdain's shows that is from that country. And we purposely not watched them all. Like for when we draw that country, maybe even in 10 years from now, there'll still be some Anthony Bourdain to watch, you know, sort of like he'll be a continual <laughs> part of our life in a weird way. Um, yeah, I mean, he seemed like a cool guy and <laughs> kind of fun and also uh, very intelligent and also just like i want to travel the world so like tag me along with that dude that's a good mentor <laughs> yes that's a great answer i absolutely love that dude this has been so fun thank you so much for coming on the show do you have anything you want to plug or uh social media uh i guess uh, if you want to follow me i'm eric power up uh, pretty much everywhere and i guess watch attack of the demons so that we can make more movies <laughs> i completely recommend it it's available on i I got it on Vudu, but it's also available on Amazon and a bunch of other places. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like a pretty much everywhere, like iTunes and all. What um? What's your? You have a website. Is it? What's your website? It's EricPowerUp.net. EricPowerUp.net. That'll link you to everything. Wow, so that crushed it. That was so much fun to sit and talk yeah, with someone else great. in animation. And hopefully, even if you're not in animation, you got a little inspiration or learned a little something about the process. Um, all right. Well, we got a couple questions from SpeakPipe. SpeakPipe. Jesus Christ. I'm all stuttery now. SpeakPipe.com slash flood. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Let me take it from the top. We'll start over. We'll do it live. How about that? How about we do it live? SpeakPipe.com slash low budget rebels. Go there and you can leave questions. If you have any filmmaking questions or comments about the podcast, feel free to go over there. Uh, you can use it on your phone. It doesn't work on Google Chrome, so you have to use Safari or... Firefox, I don't know, whatever. Whatever the other ones are on other phones. If you have an Android, you'll have to figure out what is on there. I don't know. I don't know the phone things. I use Google Chrome, so it kind of sucks. But that's how you know that these questions weren't from me to try to get you guys to send in questions. <laughs> All right, let's go to the first question. Hey there, little budget rebels. I'm just curious. Uh, when you start a project, how many storyboards do you do for that specific said project oh what a great question and a question that i think is important for a lot of people to hear <laughs> um so storyboards is a question that comes up a lot when i'm doing q a's and things like that and if i storyboard out the entire movie how much i storyboard of the film and the answer is it's been different with every single project but with short films i really make it a point to try to storyboard as much as possible even if that's sloppy and a lot of times on set, even for features, if I haven't storyboarded the sequence, I will just do stick figures of it. So everyone is on the same page. Very, very loose ideas of what kind of close-up I'm looking for, what kind of wide I'm looking for. And I'll do little you know, set pieces so we all understand where the camera is going to be placed. Because a lot of times, the cast isn't in front of... Of, or they're not behind the camera. They're not seeing what you're filming. They're almost never seeing what you're filming because they're in front of the camera. So they're giving them the chance to see 
where they're framed and how they're sort of framed up, even if it's in a really simpy, simple, sketchy style, will give everyone an idea of how the placement of the camera is being done. Uh, another thing I like about storyboards is it actually helps me edit in my brain a little bit. So going into the movie, knowing what I want out of it, knowing how many shots I'm going to need to get, it allows me to also create new stuff on the fly because I've already created the simplest form of it. So storyboarding to me is one of those key things that even if you're not a good artist, taking the time to just sit down and sketch it out really fast the, the morning before you, you get into production or you know the week before or even as you're writing the script, I sometimes while I'm writing the script will start storyboarding just so that I can visualize it. I'm a very visual person, so writing it down doesn't always make it I can't always get it to look in my head the way I want it to look, but drawing a picture of it can sometimes go a long ways and inspire me to come up with new ideas and push me forward. And if you're interested in seeing some of my storyboards, I post a lot of them on my Patreon, but I also post a lot on Twitter. So follow me at Josh Stifter on Twitter or at Flush Studios on Instagram, and you can kind of see the sort of storyboards I'm talking about, some of the sketchier ones and some of the ones that I put a little bit more time into. Sometimes I like to put time into my storyboards and really visualize it, um, but I have that ability because I am a, a, a animator. I can kind of draw a little bit, and I know some people out there can't, but don't be afraid to really make it rough. Look up James Gunn's storyboards. Those are some of the most fascinating ones because he's such a talented film director, but you look at his storyboards and they're so sketchy and so rough. And if you didn't know the shot, you'd have no idea what you were looking at. But I guarantee for him, it's massive in figuring out what that actual shot is going to look like and what the emotion of that shot is going to be. All right, next question. Uh, hi, I was just wondering, uh, how do you, after a long, stressful day, of a low budget rebelling how do you wind down and relax for another stressful day of low budget rebel filmmaking oh wow what a great question from i some a random anonymous question from a, a wonderful young man or woman or something <laughs> this is actually an interesting question to me because it's not something i've ever been asked before but i really think it's an important topic is how we shut our brains off. And it's really challenging sometimes to shut your brain off and to disconnect from the project. And I've had projects where I just don't. The honest truth is I get home after a long day of filming and instead of relaxing, I start editing and I start figuring stuff out. Um, I tend to relax in bursts. I'll take an entire week off or two weeks off and not think about filmmaking for those two weeks, not get on social media, not worry about any of the process or anything that I do so that when I come back, I feel like this need to continue it and I feel more motivated than ever. But everyone has their different way of shutting down. I know a lot of friends go home after a long day of shooting and play video games. Like that's a big thing that a lot of my friends do. But a lot, some people just sit and watch a stupid popcorn movie or, you know, hanging out with your family or anything that can, that can give you a rest from the process or maybe you personally don't need a rest. That's the biggest thing is I think a lot of people have this false concept that they need to break and a lot of people think they have the ability to never break and they're totally wrong. I think there's shifts in, in our lives that make us work in different ways and relax in different ways. So you need to really think introspectively about what you need in that moment in order to make your next day of filming possible and make it as fruitful as, as it possibly can be. Um, 
I'd be interested in hearing from you. How do you guys relax after a long day of filming? What do you do to sort of shut down? I think hearing it from other people can be massively helpful to the people who are getting overly stressed or overly worked or feel like they're not accomplishing anything. Hearing that people are busting their ass can go a long ways to motivating someone to bust their ass a little bit more. So I'd like to hear from you. Go to speakpipe.com slash lowbudgetrebels and send in your comments about how you relax after a long day of independent filmmaking or how you are able to keep motivated and keep going. Those kind of comments are huge for helping others out So and inspiring each of us, inspiring me. Inspire me. That's what I'm. That's actually what I'm looking for is some inspiration. So speakpipe.com slash lowbudgetrebels. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for all of the support that you've put forward for this podcast. It has been so uh, helpful, honestly, to hear from people. When you slide into my DMs, I love it. It means so much to hear that you listened and you dug it. So keep that up. Keep inspiring each other. Like Keep motivating each other uh, in, in the film community right now, especially when things are so tough and we're stuck in our homes and we don't get to get out and film even a quarter of as much as we would like. Right now is the time to keep each other going. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, stay rebellious, keep hustling, don't let your meat low, folks. Low Budget Rebels is brought to you by the Indie Film Hustle Network, recorded at Flush Studios headquarters in tropical Minnesota. Produced by the film daddy, Josh Stifter. Ba-ba-ba-boo.